Well, good morning. It is so good to be with you guys. My name is Thomas, uh, and I'm the youth pastor here at our Anderson campus, uh, and I'm so excited to be with you guys today. Um, Man, it it has been a lot of fun in uh, my household recently. Uh, We have an eight-month-old at home, and so he's our first, and so he keeps us on our toes. He's getting really mobile now, and so he's he's speeding up. And then also in my life this year, me and my wife are about to celebrate our anniversary in January. So it is exciting times for us, but I am so excited to be a part of this church Uh, I mean, not just because of all the things we've talked about already, but uh, specifically, I was at Christmas Co-op yesterday, just just, uh, seeing it. Uh, And if you don't know what Christmas Co-op is, we have been collecting gifts all month. uh, And then we set up a store where families uh, with low income or or just low resources can come and buy gifts for their families at a reduced cost. Uh, And so we went there yesterday, and uh, there was eight people who trusted Christ for the first time at Co-op this weekend. Uh, And so praise God. God for that. Also, right here uh, in our own church, we had walk through Bethlehem, uh, and that was on Friday night, and we saw 751 people come through our doors uh, for walk through Bethlehem. So uh, it, there's exciting things happening uh, here at our church, and so we are glad you are here today. But what I want to do is actually start by telling you a story from my childhood, uh, just a classic, you know, Christian upbringing. My family took a family trip to Las Vegas together. And uh, I was in elementary school at the time. And, you know, it's a pretty standard trip for, you know, a family, church-going family. No, but we, we went, and uh, I was too young to do anything, really. Uh, like, I could, they wouldn't even let me, like, go in certain parts of the hotel because that's where they had slot machines and things like that. But I did get to go to the gift shop, and I purchased or my parents purchased for me a toy slot machine. And the, the slot, it was a fully functioning slot machine. It's probably about this big. Um, and you could actually put real coins, real U.S. coins in the machine, which felt so cool. And it had a lever on the side that you could pull and it would spin. And, and if you had the right combination of, of letters or numbers that show up, all of the coins that you would put into the machine would come rushing out in a glorious flood of cash. And I love that. And so naturally we're road tripping back home. And my brother, who's about seven years older than me, comes up with an idea in the back of our car. Where, you know, my parents are just, just enjoying their life. They're just reflecting on their decision to take their kids to Las Vegas and all that. And, you know, and, and we're in the back seat. And my brother says, hey, why don't we play a game where you put the slot machine over your mouth? So, so you put your mouth over the opening where all the coins come out and then you pull the lever and it'll just kind of be this fun game we play. And I was like, I trust you. You're seven years older than me. That's wise. So let's do it. And so he did it first and he didn't get, he didn't get anything. So nothing came out and he said, okay, now it's your turn. Uh, And I put the slot machine over my mouth and I pulled the lever and I see seven, seven, seven come up on uh, on the slot machine and all of the coins come rushing out down into my throat and I begin to choke naturally uh, and we're screaming I really can't scream I'm trying to like cough coins out my brother is yelling and so my dad pulls the car over on the side of the highway and he's like just jumping out and help, like what one he's like what is happening like that's not your your mind doesn't jump there very quickly oh like oh the slot machine he's choking like like they're just not sure what's going on and my dad helps me dislodge this coin uh, and thankfully I survived uh, so my brother doesn't have to live with that guilt for the rest of his life but 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 it was just one of those moments where you're like how did I get here 
to this moment on the side of the highway on the way home from Las Vegas where this toy machine this toy slot machine has betrayed me. Like, what is, how did I get here? Uh, and, and I remember just thinking, like, I don't know what to do. Like, the coin has come down my throat. I don't know what to do. And so you're just, you're just flailing. And I tell you that story because I think as we enter into this Advent season, as we enter into this season uh, of Christmas, a lot of us find ourselves in that moment. We say, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I'm in this situation and maybe, maybe it's because of some choices we've made. We find ourselves there or maybe it's just because some choices have been made to us. And so we just find ourselves in this spot of like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. Or maybe you know what you're supposed to do, but you're like, I'm not finding it in me to do it. Like, I don't want to do it. So like you hear the command from Jesus uh, and and you see uh, him say, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And you're you're about to go to your family and your sister-in-law said that one thing like three years ago. And you're like, I don't feel that. Like, I don't want to love my neighbor Right? Or you read what, what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4 when he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And maybe you've recently lost your job. Right? Or, or you're, just, you're saying, man, that, that wasn't the plan. How, I don't feel like rejoicing in the Lord. Or, or maybe you read in Colossians chapter 4 and it says, Devote yourselves to prayer. But you just find yourself over and over again failing at that. You're like, I, don't, I just don't spend any time with the Lord. I don't feel that, right? Or you see in James where he says, be slow to anger. Yet you find that raging in you. And you're like, I can't, I don't know, that that person just frustrates me. They do this and they take advantage. And that just makes me so mad, right? And you find yourself in this place where you're just kind of, I don't know what to do. And so if you have a Bible today, we're going to be in James chapter one, starting in verse five. And what I'm going to talk about is this idea of what do I do when I don't know what really like, I'm, I'm just, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know how to generate this in me. I don't know how to do what I'm supposed to be doing, or I don't know what the next step is. And I have it here on the screen. First thing that I want us to realize is a lack of wisdom is the problem. And you're saying, what are you talking about? Let's, let's read in James chapter one, starting in verse five. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom. And so I just want to stop right there. James says, okay, if any of you lacks wisdom, which kind of, uh, he asks it in such a way that it's like, and you will lack wisdom. So uh, he says, you guys will lack wisdom. Typically, when we think of wisdom, we think of like, uh, I I am able to navigate the world in a very good way. Like I'm efficient and all this stuff. And and that is a true definition. But I think even more specifically here, he's saying, man, you are struggling to see the world the way that God has asked you to see the world, right? He has asked you to love your neighbor and you're saying, I'm struggling to see it that way. Or he's asked you to, to, to do this thing in faith and you're saying, I don't know how to do that. Or, or you find yourself in a situation where you say, I, man, I, I'm just unsure of what's going on. And, and if you look at the broader context, uh, if you read James, uh, the, the, the James chapter one, the few verses before this, he'll actually say, 
he'll say something that's really difficult to uh, his readers, right? His readers were extremely persecuted, right? If you read verse one of the book of James, he'll say, you guys are scattered. And this, these are Jewish Christians that have been kicked out of Jerusalem for, for, for a lot of them. Uh, they have been displaced from their homes. Some of their families may have been torn apart. They are low on money. They, they are low on resources. They are very needy. They are very vulnerable. And then James has the audacity to say this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And then he says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if you're like me, you read that and you're like, that's really harsh, James. Like, don't you know what they're going through? They're struggling. They are clawing. They are just trying to survive. And because of their associate with Jesus, they are wavering. They are, they are getting beat up. And he says, consider what you're going through to be joyous, right? And you're like, James, you don't understand, right? You're out of touch. Um, and, and man, I think that relates to a lot of where we are, where we say, man, I see this command. I see this thing that I'm supposed to be doing, but that's really, really difficult, Right? How am I supposed to consider the loss of my home to be a joyous occasion? And then that's exactly where James then says, and if any of you lacks wisdom. So he says, I'm going to ask you to do something really difficult. Consider it pure joy. And if you're lacking the wisdom to see the world in that way, man, you, that's the problem. You are lacking wisdom. And so the specific issue that James is dealing with here is this. Maybe I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not sure what to do next. For, for, in my life, I remember a, very vividly an example of this, um, where uh, this is when I was uh, working at a church up in uh, the Dallas area. I was up in Garland, and I had parked my car, uh, my little Hyundai, uh, in front of my house. Uh, and I got back late from work because we were set up for a huge youth event uh, that, that weekend. And so I was like, I'm going to leave my backpack in my car overnight. It'll be smart. Um, and so I, I did. I, left my, I was probably out there for just like five or six hours. And I woke up really early the next day because I had to be at work, and I was working a long weekend, the back window of my car was smashed. The backpack was gone. What's worse, my computer was in there, uh, which I was like, my life is there. And uh, also I had, we had, I had been, uh, we had done like a youth party the weekend before. And so uh, they had, we had collected cash from people to help pay for the event. So there was a wad of cash in my backpack, which you were like, that was a dumb move, Thomas. I'll take that one. Um, but probably what hurt the most was my handwritten Greek notes that I was t- I had made during seminary were in my backpack and then they were gone. I was like, how am I supposed to study? These are all my things. Uh, and I remember in that moment just feeling, man, I do not want to go into work and, and go uh, hang out with high schoolers <laughs> who are selfish a lot of the times, right? I do not want to give up my whole weekend to do this right now because I have been taken advantage of and this just, I, it just, you feel violated. You're just like, oh, I'm so angry. Yet in that moment, my thoughts were, man, I deserve to be short with people. I deserve to be frustrated people. I, I, I get a get out of jail free card from loving others or serving in the church because of this thing that has just happened, Right? 
And in that moment, I was lacking the wisdom to see things because it's not natural for us to have be taken advantage of and to, and to offer forgiveness. It's not natural for us not to harbor bitterness. It's not natural for us not to harbor anxiety. Those things come naturally. And, and what James is saying is, man, when you do that, you are lacking wisdom. And what's, a, what's amazing about this is, is that James is not saying, he says, it's not that you need a better plan. It's not that you need to try harder. It's not that you need just a different set of circumstances. He says, you lack wisdom. You lack, you're not seeing things the way that God wants you to see them. And that's not to negate the bad things that happen to us. But he says, man, there's a way of viewing the world. Man, and God wants to give you that. And, if you're, and he says, you have to acknowledge that you're lacking that. That's why you are struggling. And I want to go to our next point. It says this, asking God is our hope. What do I mean by that? So he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. And you're like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. He's God, right? That sounds super easy, but it is so surprising, uh, maybe to ourselves. If I watch myself as I go through life, when I encounter hardship or, or, or I am struggling, it is so, it is my tendency to try to solve it myself and then to ask God as a last resort. Right? Okay, let me try to figure this out or rearrange my schedule or do this. And what James is saying, he says, if you find yourself in that position of struggle, he says, ask God. Ask God. You're like, that sounds too easy. Right? And he's like, that's the point. He's available to you. So why, why is God the one we should ask? Right? What, what can he actually do for us? Uh, and I want to highlight this. He says, first, he gives generously. So literally, if you translate this, it is, he is a generous God. He is the giving God. And so it is like a characteristic of who he is. He goes, first, you should ask God to help you because he is generous. That's his natural tendency. Whereas the natural tendency of each one of us and the world is to be selfish. It says God's tendency is to be generous. That's part of who he is. He loves giving things away to people who, who haven't earned them. That's part of what he loves to do. Um, I, I love what Jesus says uh, in the book of Luke. Um, he is teaching on the Lord's prayer. And, he, and, and many of us know that passage. And he says this little uh, uh, description after the Lord's prayer of, hey, here's some things to keep in mind as you pray. And you see this in Luke 11, starting in verse 11. And he says this point, he says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And he says this, he says, you as earthly fathers don't give dumb gifts to your kids. He's like, you know how to give good gifts to your children. And he goes, think about how much your heavenly father gives good gifts to his children, right? Uh, I have an eight month old at home. We have uh, Christmas presents packed underneath the Christmas tree for him. And we fully 
realize and know that like he is not perceiving really any of that. Like it's not those gifts. We, we just want the picture of him wrap opening it. He won't remember a lot of the gifts that he gets. He's not gonna be like, I remember those blocks, man. Those are the best blocks. Uh, like we understand that. Uh, but we as parents just love giving him gifts. We have given him, uh, my wife just decorated this playroom and it's all color coded. And it's just like this really engaging space where it's, you know, he can see there's like Christmas trees painted different colors of the rainbow. And he he just loves looking at them and playing with them. And it's very engaging. We have toys that have different things. Some are soft and some are harder and some are squishy. And it's just this, we love putting him in these situations where, man, he just gets to explore and you see his, his face light up. Uh, and it's so fun for us to see. It would be weird if our positioning as parents was to put him in like a, a room with nothing in it and be like, well, we're just, we want you to get by with as little as possible right? Like just sleep on the floor and we're going to paint all the walls like eggshell white and just it like you just entertain yourself that way. No, we love as parents to say, man, let me give you something that's going to blow your mind, right? Like I love walking Adler outside and letting him like touch leaves on the tree and pull them. And, and he always tries to inevitably eat them. But he, it's just like, man, that's something you have never experienced before. Let me just show that to you. And that's so fun for me. And God says, yeah, that's fun for you and you're evil. That, but yet that comes naturally to you. He says, imagine your father in heaven, how generous he is towards us. And that's what James is tapping into. He says, he gives generously to all because that's who he is. He is eager to give us things. But he also has another reason. He says, he gives generously to all without finding fault. Now, if you read this really quickly, it comes across as, God gives generously to people who are faultless, right? And you're like, that sounds weird. Like, do I got to be good enough to... What it's actually saying is God does not keep a record, right? He is not holding it against you that you asked for something. Um, that is not God's posture. He's not like, I was generous to you last month. What have you done with it since then? You're asking again? Really? He, it says, man, he doesn't blame you for asking. He does not hold it against us. Going back to Luke chapter 11... Um, you see, after the Lord's Prayer, again, Jesus tells this really weird story that, uh, that informs how we interact with God. And he tells this story of a man who has a guest come to his house late at night. And he says, I don't have any food to give him. And then it says, this man goes to his neighbor's house and starts knocking on the door and says, hey, can you give me some food? And then the neighbor says, hey, my kids are all in, uh, in bed. I'm in bed. You're gonna, if I help you, I'm going to wake everyone in my house up. I don't want to help you. And then Jesus says this. Starting in verse uh, uh, eight, it says this, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship. So it's not because he likes you that he'll give it. It says, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And so Jesus says, this is the attitude I want you to have when coming before God. He says, I want you to annoy him <laughs> with your requests. Because he says, man, this neighbor, the only reason he got up is because you kept knocking. It wasn't even because he liked you. It was like, I just want this guy to go away. And he says, man, that's how I want you to approach God. And he does like you, <laughs> right? There is nothing too small to bring to God. There's nothing too big. There's nothing too overwhelming. There's nothing too, man, ah, that doesn't really fall under the category of things that should concern God. Everything is his and can be brought to him. No matter how small the anxiety feels in us, we can bring that before him. No matter how large the anger we feel, we can bring that before him. 
He says he does not hold anything against us. And then Jesus immediately says after this, he says, so ask. And that's what James says. He goes, ask, because he does not blame us for that. And then lastly, and perhaps most excitingly, he says, and it will be given to you. Now, when I read that, right, that's a statement about power, the power that God has. And what we believe as Christians is that God, that he, he is sovereign over everything. He is capable of providing anything that we need, right? That's the God that we serve. He's not limited by anything. There, there's nothing that surprises him. There's nothing that's too far for him. He is capable of meeting any need that we bring to him, right? That is not something that we can do on our own, right? We can try to plan ourselves, right? We get, we, the city of College Station can try to end traffic by planning and then it just gets worse and worse and worse, right? Like as human beings, we are limited in our ability to plan and ability to prevent things from happening because we're powerless. We don't have the ability or the sovereignty to make the change that we would love to see happen. And James says, but God does. And he says, he has the ability to give you exactly what you need. I love what James chapter five, verse 16, he says, he says this, he says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And he's, he's, he's coming back to this, this idea of asking God. And he says, you guys should pray because the one you're praying to is powerful. It's not because you're awesome. It's because the one you're talking to holds the world in his hands. He can heal those who are sick. He can heal those who are caught in sin. And then James even uses this example of Elijah. It says, Elijah prayed to God and it stopped raining for three years. And he says, that's what God is capable of. He controls even the weather patterns. So ask. God holds the world before him and he can give us everything that we need. And so what I want to talk about real quick is this. We are in this Advent season, right? And it's, and it's a fun season so for all of you who are like under the age of like 16. You're like, this is the best time of the year. Uh, if you're like, have kids now, you're like, this might be the most stressful time of the year. I'm not sure. Um, but right, we have all these things that, that are occupying our attention. And one thing I want to move to the forefront is what Advent signifies for us. Because what Advent means is the coming of Christ. That's when we say Advent, that's what we're talking about. Man, the fact that he came. And a lot of time when we think about him coming, we think about how he died for the sins of the world. And that's an, that's an amazing thing. But we also fail to think sometimes about, man, he died and rose again and paid for my sin. But also his coming signified that he's with me. Right? One of the things that Jesus talked so much about with his disciples was the fact that, man, someday I will leave, but after I leave, the Holy Spirit will come. The helper will come. And he says, and it'll be better. It's good that I go. Because then you will have God not just next to you, you'll have God inside of you. And, and sometimes we forget that at the Advent season. We don't think about God is with his children right? He has come. He, he saw us. He saw us in our sin. He saw us in our brokenness. And then he stepped down from heaven, became a man, walked among us. He experienced death and betrayal. He experienced the loss of friendships. And then he went to the cross on behalf of all of us. And he died for the sins of the world. 
The death that we were supposed to die, he took on himself. And then he didn't stay dead, but he rose again and he, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And now the picture that we have of Jesus in the New Testament is him alive and interceding for us and helping us. And so James says, man, view God that way. He is not a God who just kind of created the world and then said, good luck with that. He's a God who not only created the world and then stepped into it and is available to us. And so James says, ask him for help. Do that. So the last point I want to highlight here. He says, we have a lack of wisdom is the problem. Asking God is our hope. And then he says, faith must be your posture. So let's keep reading in verse six. He says, but when you ask... You must believe and not doubt. So if you're in here, you're like, okay, what does that mean? Right? And a lot of times we read passages like this and Jesus used this language. Jesus was like, pray. And if you have enough faith, you can like uproot this mountain and throw it into the sea. And, and, and James says, man, you must believe and not, and we're kind of like, man, what does that mean? And it's helpful to remember that James is writing to a group of believers, right? He is not trying to convince them of salvation. He's not trying to say, hey, your problem is that you don't know Jesus. He's saying your problem is you have this small, small view of who he is. And so you, when you go before him, you must believe and not doubt. So he's talking to a group of believers and he says, you must practice believing. You must practice faith in your relationship with the Lord. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Faith means that you are asking while believing that God is capable of doing what you're asking of him. It means, man, I believe that God is who he says he is and is capable of doing what I'm asking of him. Uh, what, he's capable of doing what I'm asking of him. So what does it mean to be a doubter? Well, the word here, uh, it, it signifies someone who's unstable, someone who is unsure, someone who is split. They're at odds with themselves. Uh, it's used also in Romans chapter 14. And it's talking about when a believer approaches, he, it's when Paul is talking about believers who are approaching food sacrifice to idols. And he says, man, they were, they were not sure if it was okay to eat the food or not. Their conscience was split. And so he says, that's the picture there. And he says, man, you're, you're, you're asking God, but there's a way in asking God that, that invites doubt or that, that leaves room for doubt. He says, I want you to ask God in a way that says you believe in his power and who he is. And, and if you read this, right, sometimes you, you think, man, if I just believe hard enough, does I just get what I want? Uh, and that's just not true, right? Because our experience tells us that. So many of us have Man, we have walked with Jesus and we ask for things. And then, and then, man, it doesn't happen the way that we wanted it to. And you see this in scripture. John the Baptist, he sends messengers. He is in prison, sends messengers to Jesus. And he's like, hey, you're the Messiah, right? You're the one who's supposed, he's like quoting Isaiah. And he says, you're the one who's supposed to set captives free, right? And Jesus goes, yes, I am the Messiah. And I am the one who's going to set captives free. But you're not going to be set free. And John the Baptist is beheaded, right? And he asks God. And, and Jesus even speaks of John the Baptist earlier. And he says, man, there's no other person like him that's existed. He is such a man of faith. And so James is not saying, 
man, if you just believe hard enough, things, good things will happen. Because we don't believe in karma as Christians. That's just not true. We don't believe that, man, if I just do this or if I do good, then good will come back to me. We don't believe that if I have enough faith, then, then what I want to, I will speak truth into the world. What he's saying is, no, I want you to ask God with a posture. He says, I want you to ask God with his posture of faith. So what does that mean? It means your schedule, your, your, your daily schedule is not dictated by entertainment. It's not dictated by my job. It's not dictated by school. It's not dictated by family. It says, man, your schedule is dictated by the one who is capable of helping you at any point. He is, it is dictated by your Lord and Savior. He says, man, that's what it means to practice faith in him. It means your life is structured in a way where you say, man, I, I have to go to God and ask him because he is the one who can help me. And he has invited me to ask him for help. So practically speaking, it means, man, I'm going to set time in the morning to get up and I'm just going to sit and I'm going to pray and I'm going to spend time in the word and I'm just going to listen to God and whatever comes to my mind, I'm going to pray that. It means, man, I'm not going to punt on that when it gets busy or man, it's a test week. So that means I don't have to spend time with the Lord, right? Or it's, man, it's a busy week at the office. There's a lot of deadlines. It's the end of the year. It means practicing faith means, no, I'm going to protect that time. And all the more so run to him because I know who he is. It means, man, I'm not going to neglect going and being a part of the body of Christ and gathering with with the church each week. I'm not going to neglect the spiritual disciplines. I'm not going to neglect meeting with with a community of believers and inviting them to hold me accountable. He's saying, man, you are structuring your life in such a way that you're saying, Man, I, I fully believe that God is the one who can help me. And, and what's happening here uh, is he's saying, man, when you doubt, it's not because you don't ask occasionally, but he says you're split. You're, you're a t- you're, you're, you have a backup plan. You're like, man, I'm going to ask, but really I kind of need to take this into my own hands, right? And you see, if you read through the book of James, you see James addressing these things. Immediately after this section, James talks about wealth. And he says, it's fleeting. It'll fade away like a flower, right? He's like, picture the hot Texas sun scorching that flower. It's gone, right? And he says, that's what wealth is like. He goes, wealth and accumulating stuff is not going to help you in this situation, right? It's fleeting. He'll talk about favoritism. The, the readers that uh, James was writing to were practicing favoritism. They, when, when someone of wealth came into their midst, they showed special attention to them. Because, man, that's someone who can help us. We don't have a lot of money. And if they join our congregation, that's going to help us. And James says, no, that's not what you do. You ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And he says, and you structure your asking. You structure your life around that asking. So he says, believe and do not doubt. And he gives a warning here at the end because he says, and why, why must we believe? He says, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And he says, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. 
And so he paints this picture and he says, because when you ask the Lord in doubting and you say, yeah, maybe I'll say some prayers or do this occasionally. But at the end of the day, what I need is just to log more hours in and work harder and get a better job. And that's what's going to actually help my situation. Or maybe I just need to avoid that person. That's what's going to actually help my situation. Um, And James says, no. He says, if you operate that way, you will, instead of being driven by the God you love, you'll be driven by something outside of you. He says, you'll be like a wave that's tossed around. So when someone comes into the room and, and, and you see that anxiety building up into you, he says, man, the one who is unstable, are, they're, they're just living on the words of whatever that person says, right? If, if they say something, they, it just, it can tear you down or, or you, you are so driven by what happens to you. He says, you become unstable. He even uses this phrase, double-minded. And he says, you, you, are, you have two minds. You, you are, you're trying to focus on two different things and you become ineffective. You are split in how you make decisions. You are inconsistent at best. And so he says, you don't want to be like that. He goes, you don't want to be tossed around because you don't have to be. You don't have to be driven by other people or the opinions of other people or the thoughts of other people or whether you got invited to that thing. He says, instead, you can be stable and you can be steadfast and you can be rooted because the one you belong to, he is giving you everything that you need. So what do we do with all this? Well, the question I want us to ask is ask yourself this, where do you lack wisdom? Where do you see yourself not seeing the world the way that God sees it, right? I listed off some examples at the beginning. Man, is it anxiety? Are you filled with anxiousness every time you think about your kids leaving the house? Man, God has called us not to be anxious about anything, right? Ask God for wisdom, Right? Are, there, are there people that we harbor bitterness against because of something they've said or they've done? Right? Are we about to see them over the Christmas break right? and sit around the dinner table with them and you feel that anger or frustration or I'm going to make this little comment because that'll, that'll bring them down a notch. Like, that'll feel good. Right? And you feel that in you. Man, it says, it says, ask God. Ask God to help you to see things the way that he sees things. Right? Or, or you lost your job or you're, you're just your family has gone through a difficult season. Maybe you've lost a loved one and you say, man, I'm just so done because things have not worked out the way that I thought they would. And James says, ask God. Invite him into that. And on, uh, on the topic of asking him, have you been asking him in faith? Is your life structured in a way where people look at that and they say, man, you must know a God who is generous and who gives to all who ask, right? And I don't say that to build guilt or to build shame because in Christ, there are none of those things. But I am saying that because there is an opportunity, there is a way of living that breathes peace, that breathes life into you. And God is not withholding that. He's saying, I'm just waiting for you to ask. And so set aside time this week just to say, I'm gonna sit And maybe I don't even know what to pray about. I'm just going to turn everything off and sit for 15 minutes. And just whatever comes to my mind, I'm going to pray to the Lord about that. Maybe it's anxiousness that pops in, or maybe it's just the, the day of meetings that you are about to have. Tell God about it. 
Ask for wisdom in the midst of that. Ask him to help you see, to see things the way that he sees him. And so I don't know where you are, but I, my challenge to you is to invite God into every moment. There is nothing too small. Now, if you would, please bow your head. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today and we just ask for wisdom. God, so often, God, in my own life, I run to other things before asking you for help. God, it feels too small. It feels too uh, just irrelevant. But God, you say, bring everything to me. God, you are someone who wants to be with us. God, you want to know us. You want to be involved in every decision. And that's not because you're overbearing. It's because you love us. God, it's because you want to spend time with us because you're like a good dad. And so God, help us to adopt that mindset. God, wherever we are, God, we ask for wisdom because you are generous and you don't hold anything against us. And you have the power to do anything. God, help us to believe and to not doubt. And so God, we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you all. Y'all have a good week.